in Dafyut Cheta Mud Alef, Letting Go, Me'ema Taik Tuvan Mishametet. It's, uh, it's always so exciting every morning to open the Gemara and think, what are we going to find here today? What are we going to discover in the Gemara today? Uh, and even if we know what the sugya is about, we know that technically we know what, what the vessel is, but what's the content? What's between the lines? Uh, what, what are we going to discover in, in the Gemara? And how will, how will the Gemara teach this to us? And, and today we learn about the fact that our journey through life is a journey of learning to, to let go. We start off as, a, as an infant and we hold on to our toys very tightly and we hold on to our food very tightly. We don't let go. It's hard for an infant to let go of something that, that it wants to keep, keep to itself. And, and then we, we grow up and we develop and, and our egos make sure that we hold on to everything very tightly. Our covered, we hold on to our honor, we hold on to our money, we hold on to our family, we, we hold on to life. Obviously, we're born with a an instinct, to, to a survival instinct, to hold on to life with everything we've got. And little by little, over, over the journey of life, we need to learn how to let go. Uh, and the, uh, when I teach this in, in professionally to, to clients, I explain that you can hold something in two ways. You can hold something with your fist downwards, so that if you let go, it falls, and then you have to hold it very tight in case you let go. Well, you can hold it with the palm of your hand upwards, and then the palm of your hand can be open because it won't fall. You're holding it lightly. And as we go through life, we learn to hold our ego-related stuff more lightly and eventually to become detached uh, because most of the suffering that we experience, as the Eastern philosophers discovered a long time ago, most of the suffering we, we feel is from loss or from fear of loss. But if we can detach, if we can let go a little bit, then it's okay, we can, we can manage loss, we can deal with loss. Uh, it, it's like survivors of the Holocaust have, have often told me that once you've been through that, you can lose any, you're not afraid of losing. What can they take from you? What can you lose? Uh, you've so, come so close to lo- losing everything, including your life. What can, what can you lose? So you're more willing to take on risk, you're more willing to, to do things. You're not, uh, you're not that attached to anything. And so one goes through life until at the end of one's life, one actually lets go of life itself. And that's the process of ultimately letting go so that the, uh, as the ego becomes less dominant and less powerful, one is able to escape the force of the ego. We can never destroy the ego. The Yetzirah, we don't destroy the Yetzirah. We say, Atsileni mi Yetzirah. We want to be saved from it. So we've got to elevate ourselves above the ego and eventually get to a point where we can let go of stuff, even ultimately let go of life itself. That's the process of what, of what it is. But, but we find mostly people tend to let go of their dreams and their aspirations and their potential. When they're young, they think of what they're going to be when they're bigger and what they're going to be ultimately and how wealthy they're going to be and how much of shas they're going to know and what a great Rosh Hashiva they're going to be or a great professional person, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever it is. People have these dreams and aspirations and through life we let go of those dreams and aspirations. But we hold on to what we've got really tight. And what we'll argue in the, in the sugya today is needs to be the other way around. Let go of what you've got. It's not so important. But don't let go of your dreams and aspirations. Don't let go of your potential. That is important. Let's see how, how we learn this. And in so doing it, I'm going to go through a, 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 the way Rashi learns this piece of Gomorrah in, in, in a way that, that cuts through a lot of the discussion of the Acharonim. There's a lot of discussion on the Sugi and on the Acharonim. And the way we're going to learn it based on Arimi Gash, just to, to cut through the noise and get to the, to the essence of it. 
Uh, we start with the, the din of Shemitah. We know that Shemitah, apart from being a time to leave the land fellow, is also a time when the Shemitat Ksafim, where you've got to cancel loans. So in Pashas Ra'i, we have Miket Sheva Shanim Taaseh Shemitah. You do a Shemitah at the end of seven years. V'zeh davar ha-Shemitah shamot kol bal mashe yado ashe yashe bere'ehu. Translated in one of the English translations that I found, at least it makes sense in the English, uh, to, to cancel your debt. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. Lo yigos et re'ehu ve'et achiv ki karash mital Hashem. You shall not require payment, or yigos could, is more than that. It demands payment. It's a press the, the person in order to get payment. You shouldn't press for payment, is what that really means. You shouldn't press for payment because it's a shmita. A very important Malbim. The Malbim explains that there's a difference between the word Noshe and Noges. Noshe is I'm a creditor, Noges is I'm an oppressor. And the difference is, says the Malbim, that Noges is when you're not entitled to what you're claiming. Then it's like a tax collector is a Noges in those times when taxes were arbitrarily imposed and there wasn't a, there wasn't a formula for it. Uh, and a person would come and decide how much tax this Jewish person is going to have to pay. Uh, taking money, then, some will argue today that it's, a, that it's also no guess. It, it's oppressing, it's, it's demanding payment for something you're not entitled to demand payment for. That's no guess. And says the Malbim, because Hashem has said there's a Shemitah, because Hashem has said there's no Shemitah, and I'm going to translate Shemitah differently. And it's in the translation that the whole sugya opens up. What does the word Shemitah mean? It comes from Lishmot. What does Lishmot mean? If something slips out of your hand, you say it is a Shamat. It slipped out of my hand. Lishmot is to slip away. That's what Shemitah is. Let it slip away. All the money you plan to make from working your field this year, let it slip away. Let go. The money that somebody owes you, let it slip away. That's what the word shamot means. So says the Malbim, once Hashem has said, let it slip away, and you claim it, you're claiming something which isn't yours. And that's why it's no guess. It's not, it's not no share. You're not a creditor claiming your debt. It's no longer yours. Hashem has said, let it slip away, and you're pursuing it. That means it's not yours. That's what Shemitah really means. Let it go. Let it slip away. Now, this Malbim is very important in understanding the Gemara. So what does the Gemara say? When can Shemitah apply to a Ketuvah? A, a man dies or divorces his wife. She's now entitled to the payment of a Ketuvah. But she hasn't taken the payment yet of a Ketuvah. Then comes Shemitah here. Does, does that go? And she, is, her, is her debt now gone? Can the, heir, can the estate or the divorced husband say to her, I'm sorry, I was going to pay you this million dollars in your Ketuvah, but it's Shemitah, what can we do? You've got to let it go. Let it slip out of your hand. No, the din is for a ketuvah, there's no Shemitah. But there's a point at which the, it does become Shemitah. So you notice in the Gemara's language here that a ketuvah changes its form from a ketuvah to, as Rashi says, kishar shtar chov. It can become a regular <laughs> document of indebtedness. But that's not what it is to start with. So what is a ketuvah? We've been talking about get and other shtarot. Ketuvah is also a very unique document that has its own name. It's not called a shtar, it's called a ketuvah. And, and what the Ketuvah is, so you see the Ketuvah goes through transformation. It goes from Ketuvah to Shtarchov. But what was it to start with? What is a Ketuvah before it becomes a Shtarchov? During the period of the marriage, what is a Ketuvah? At the moment of divorce or the moment of death, before she claims it, what is a Ketuvah? 
Says the it says Rav, there's a machlokus Rav and Shmuel. Rav says she has to start drawing from the ketuba. Shetifgom v'tizkof. She's got to do two things. She's got to start drawing from the ketuba, and she's got to establish the balance as a debt owing to her. So she acts. She does an action which changes the ketuba from ketuba to shtarchov. Shmuel says one of the two. She doesn't have to do both. Rashi explains, but the important thing in Rashi is Ketuva goes from a Maise Beisdin. Maise Beisdin means a decree of the Beisdin to a debt, to a document of indebtedness. That's the journey. That's the transformation. It goes from a Maise Beisdin to a Shtar Chov, says Rashi. Um, and it's important in the Rashi, for those of you learning the Gemara carefully, uh, that when Rashi says this, it, it's on both. It's Mishitif Gom Vitizkov. There are Achrenim who learn Rashi as two different things. Mishitif Gom and Vitizkov. Vitizkov, Gom, she demonstrates her intention. Tizkov, she starts the process. But you see, but, but I, I, I'm suggesting you learn Rashi as one step. Me'ematai Ketuvah, Meshitif Gom Vitizkov. Then Nafkalam Mishum Ketuvah Maitzeh Beisdin. Then it goes from Maitzeh Beisdin into a Shtarchov when she's done those two things. The Tosfos really explains why it has to be two, not one. And you see that in the run, the way the run on the riff, who really uses Rashi as his perush. When she starts paying and she makes the balance a debt, then then the Nafkalam Mitzvah Ketuvah Vayvelimilva. The run makes it very clear that Rashi is to be learned as one thing. She has, to, she has to do two things in order for one thing to happen. She has to start drawing and convert the balance into debt. Once she's done that, the, the shtarchov transforms, the ksuva transforms from a maise based in into a shtarchov. And the Ran also says that shviz ena mishametet ela milve. Shviz only causes a debt to slip away, not other forms of indebtedness other than an actual loan. It has to be a loan. We see that in the Rambam, when the Rambam Paskins based on, on, the, on the, the mission shviz, um, that if you have credit, if a, if a shopkeeper is owed money, Shemitah doesn't cancel that out. But if he converts it into a loan, it does cancel it out. Knas of Ones and Mefateh, the fines that you have to pay that the Torah imposes, Shemitah doesn't wipe it out. But if you convert it into a loan, it wipes it out. And then the Rambam Paskins Audin, that Ksuba is not, Shemitah does not wipe out a Ksuba, but if you convert it into a loan, then it it wipes it out. So you see in the Rambam also it's Milve, but what does it mean, Milve? Why is the law of Shemitah only for a Milve? If you've got to let it go, how, why does it matter if you lent the money to the other person or it's trade finance or it's a fine that you've converted into a loan? Why, why is the milver? Why is this so important? So to understand that, we have to go to the Rambam's Rebbe, the Rimigash. The Rimigash, although the Rimigash died only a few years after the Rambam was born, the Rimigash was the Rambam's father and Rebbe's Rav Muvhak. That was the Rimigash. And the Rambam considers himself to be a, a Talmud of the Rimigash. So the academics will say he can't be a Talmud of the Rimigash. He was four years old when the Rimigash died, or five years old. The Rambam says, I am a Talmud of the Rimigash, which means all the Torah he's got comes through his father from the Rimigash and the Rif. The Rif was the Rimigash's Rebbe. The Rif, Rimigash, through to the Rambam. That's one 
one chain of our halachic tradition. And the Rimigash, the Rif said of his Talmud, the Rimigash, that even in the period of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was nobody as great as the Rimigash. So you understand who it is we're talking about. Unfortunately, we've only got a few Masechtas of the Rimigash Perush, but because of Shittim Ukubetzis, we have him quoted all over Shas, including this one from Ksuvis. And the Rimigash says, Here you see Rashi's words. Ksuba is a Maaseh Beisdin. What does that mean? Klomar ena chov she'asa'a al atzmo, ela hadin hu she'asa'o alav. And I want you to understand this Rimigash. What the Rimigash is saying is, you're not the owner. You, the woman, is not the owner of your entitlement through the ksuba. The ksuba is a right. It's potential. You have a right to claim your ksuba. But you don't own anything until you start the claim. Then it converts from a maise beizdin. Maise beizdin means, says the Rimigash, hadin the Torah gave you this. It's not yours. It becomes yours when you start drawing and when you convert it into a shtar, it becomes yours. What's the nafkimina? What difference does it make if it's yours or if it's not yours? The Torah doesn't tell you, let it slip away if it isn't yours to start with. So the din of Shemitah is let it go. Let what go? That which you own. That's why I started off saying it's about material things. That which you own. Shemitah is a lesson in how to let go in how to let it slip away. And as I said, that's the process of the whole of life. And Shemitah is one of the methods that teaches us. Tzedakah teaches us. And Shabbos teaches us. Yom Tov, every, most of the halachas in the Torah, all the benod and chaveras, let it go, let it go. And, but you can only let go of something which is yours. Ksuba is a potential to be yours. It's not yours yet until you do the conversion. And the conversion, the Gemara explains, Machlokas, Rav and Shmuel, exactly how you do the conversion. But they both agree, you've got to convert it from potential to ownership, then you can be expected to let it go. And the Beis Yosef says in Ebenezer that when the two says, Rashi. That's what Rashi means. And that's why I said, if you learn Rashi using the Malbim, the Malbim meaning that, that, that the idea of Shmita is let it go. And that you can only be told to let go of something which is yours. We learn that from the Rimi Gash. What an unbelievable chidush of the Rimi Gash. You can only be told to let something go if it is yours. If it is not yours, you can't be told to let it go. So this comes back to my original comment. So on the material things that we own, the Torah's view is learn to let it go. Learn to let it pass. It's okay. But the uh, things which are potential, your aspirations, your hopes, your ambitions, don't let that go. It's not yours to let go. That's a gift from Hashem, that Hashem has given you this belief in yourself, that Hashem has given you this vision of what could be. Don't let that go. There's no, no obligation to let that go. What you need to let go are the things we're attached to. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to suggest, it was actually Ricky's suggestion to me yesterday, that at the end of the matrimonium, I challenge you to do something. And I think there are two things I challenge you to do virtually after every matrimonium. The one thing is, take the lesson and try it out today. Don't say tomorrow, because if it's tomorrow, tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow, 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 and then one forgets it, and it's gone, and it's history. Try it out today. Take something that you're very attached to, and mentally, emotionally, try detaching a little bit from it. It's okay to let it go, whether it's something to do with your COVID, with your ego, with your professional status, with money, with it. just let it go. See, see what happens when you allow yourself to let it go. It's okay. It doesn't, I'm not saying physically give it away. I'm just saying detach from it a little bit. It doesn't define me. It doesn't define who I am.
My image doesn't define me. My status doesn't define me. My money doesn't define me. I am who I am. That can't be taken away from me. Detach a little bit. So put into practice today. And, and the other thing is that, that Ricky and other people have told me, try and do a chazor. During the day, take the, the, the source sheet or, or just something just to run through it and remind yourself of the shir. Either go through the shear, you can go through it on high speed, or, or go, go through yesterday's shear, or go through the source sheet. Just during the day, do something to recall it, to bring it back. If every day you could do that, the value of each shear would be multiplied multiple fold in terms of, of the, its capacity to change you, to change your life, and to become part of who you are and, and, and part of your life. So put into practice today, detach from something that you're attached to, and do a chazora, even just a moment's chazora in your mind. Let the shir flash through your mind. Recall what it was about. Learn, learn this, just this, this um, rimigash and understand the, the approach and how we're using the rimigash to open up the sugi and understand Rashi. Just that to be able to take away with you would be enormously valuable. <laughs>